0: <laughs> praises to Allah, may Allah's peace and blessing and on all those who follow the path of righteousness until the last day. <coughs> The topic of this evening's presentation, which was chosen for me, was youth, the pillar of society, the pillars of society. When I thought about this topic, I understand from it that the Lord is to them to understand what their role is in Muslim society, Muslim community. To emphasize for them how important that role was, and thereby encourage them to be more actively involved. As a brief look in the early generation, The generation which Prophet Muhammad had said, Khairunna, farmi," me, the best of generations, my generation. In that generation, the youth were highly regarded. They played a critical and important role in the Muslim community. Say, who, Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, gave generalship over Muslim forces before he died. And after he died, when the forces, the forces were sent out of Medina to meet a challenge which was coming from the Romans and the other Sahaba questioned the sending of Usama ibn Zayd, who was somewhere around 15 to 17 years old at the head of the Muslim army an army which included many senior Sahaba etc they questioned it Abu Bakr didn't question it. For him, Prophet Muhammad had chosen Usama ibn Zayd. It meant he was the best one for the job. Can you imagine putting at the head of the Pentagon a 15-year-old kid? He's got the button in his hand. He presses that button and nuclear warheads are going all over the world. Can you imagine putting all of that under his hand? Something unthinkable. Right? Unthinkable today. But that was the position that Muslim youth held. And the example of Umar ibn al-Khattab, who used to include in his Meetings with the leading sahaba when he sat with them on shura, a consultative committee wherein decisions were made. He would include along with him Abdullah bin Abbas who again was 15-17 years old. And the other sahaba sahaba, began to grumble. Why is Umar Ibn Al Khattab including this young man when we have children his age? We live with him, we don't bring them with us. What is he doing, sitting with us, senior? So when the bandings reached Abdullah, uh, reached Omar Ibn Al Khattab, he brought Abdullah Ibn Abbas as he usually did sat with the rest of the leading Sahaba, and then he asked the rest of the Sahaba, what did they think the meaning of إِذَا جَاءَ wal اللَّهِ was? What did they think was its meaning? Now some of the Sahaba realized that Omar ibn al-Khattab was going to teach them a lesson. Right? So they just remained quiet. Others felt they understood what it meant. It's clear, meaning Arabic text, clear. Allah's help and His victory comes. And you see people coming into the uh, religion and Williams, etc. Then you should glorify Allah and seek his forgiveness because he is the forgiven. Oh, cool. So then after he asked them and they gave their opinions, he turned to Abdullah ibn Abbas and he asked, What do you understand from this? Abdullah ibn Abbas said, This was Allah's farewell to the Prophet. Sallallahu Alaihi This surah was bidding the Prophet ﷺ farewell, that his time had come to an end. And after Ibn Abbas had made this explanation, Omar ibn Khattab said, That is all that I understood from it. Affirming Ibn Abbas's understanding. As superior to all of these other leading companions, etc. Why? Well, because Adulayim Prophet had designated him as Turjman the Quran. As the one who would elucidate the meanings of the Quran, putting him on a status above any one of his contemporaries. So, this was the legacy of the early generation. And we see it also in those who came after them at the time of the Tabi'een, Tabi'in, leading scholars who went out at an early age to go and seek knowledge. And they became leading scholars in their early 20s, late teens. They were leading scholars. This has been a tradition. However, today, if we ask the adults about youth being a pillar of society, the general consensus is that they are pillars of corruption. Isn't it? The general consensus is that there are pillars of corruption. The crime, the murders, thievery. This is the general role of the youth in society today. Society in decay. A decaying society whose moral foundations have been removed. it is collapsing. The rise in crime, everything else that we see, these are just the symptoms of that problem. The moral decay of Western civilization. The globalized culture who, while professing that it represents the pinnacle of where society needs to go and where it needs to be. Yet, in its own home, the societies, the big cities, are crumbling. The schools are rotting. In the United States of America, in your big cities, most of the schools have at the gate, when you come into this school, huge schools, when the students come in, they have metal detectors. You know like when you're going out to the airplane, you're going to take a trip, you have to go through the metal detector. These schools have metal detectors. To catch students who are coming into class with knives and guns, Because there are so many killings of teachers, teachers stabbed to death, shot dead, beaten up in the schools. That is a clear indication of a decaying society. So don't be fooled by the technology, the external progress, Internally, that society is falling apart. And its culture has been globalized through satellite television, magazines, etc. That same corruption is spread around the world on a global scale. So it is not surprising that we find here in Kenya youth being a pillar of corruption as they are in western centers of civilization. It's not surprising. But we Muslims are supposed to be different. We have a tradition of morality which we have upheld over the generations. In spite of the dismantling of legal systems which are influenced by religion, in the Muslim community, religion and its principles still remain intact. So, you will not find in the Muslim community, this is an example, gay imams. In general, we do have a problem of gay imams. Gay imams For Christians, they have that problem. They have gay priests, they have gay congregations, and it's a big problem. The only people who are holding out right now are the Catholics. The Protestants have accepted it. Even though the Bible is very explicit that for homosexuals caught, they're supposed to be executed. Stated in no uncertain terms in the Old Testament. Yet, modern day Christianity has backed off. Times have changed, people's understandings have changed. So, religion has to change to match with the people and the changes. So, now we have gay priests gay congregations gay churches so that is what is out there in the globalized culture internally as Muslims we have tried to hold this back and alhamdulillah to a large degree because of the solidity of the foundations of Islam, we have kept much of that at bay. However, let me tell you, in San Francisco, there is a gay mosque. Yes, there is a gay mosque in San Francisco. San Francisco is the headquarters of homosexuals of the world. They have a gay mayor, they have gay it's the headquarters and now they have a gay mosque so though as a whole Muslim will never accept this you know we can see some things happening and when we come back to the Muslim community and we look at the youth who should be The pillar, the positive pillar for the community, where the community can look at them and feel positive about the future. Instead, the youth are looked at as sources of corruption. There are few in the masjids. Most of the people in the masjids are old are not involved. So, this talk needs to be focused on those who can make a difference. It is not about trying to convince the youth who are here that they should be involved. The fact that they're here means they feel that they should be involved. But, the reason why the numbers are so few, this is what needs to be addressed. And so my talk is focused really on the elders, my generation and those under me. What happened? Where did we go wrong? out our use a source of good news, bisha for the future. Why is that the case? Because we, our generation, in general, have failed. We as youths we are our responsibility we are the ones who raise them and we have to look We look at how we raise them to find out where we went wrong so that we can correct the situation and move forward in a positive constructive way We know that raising children Islamically is something highly regarded in Islam. Prophet Muhammad had spoken about seven seven individuals, seven اللَّهُ seven who would be shading by the shade of Allah's throne on the day when there would be no shade except for the shade of the throne on the day of judgment one of them second mentioned by the Prophet, was fi a young person a youth who grew up Worshipping Allah Who grew up Worshipping Allah That Should be our goal To raise children Who would grow up Worshipping Allah And this is where We have failed Our children Are not attracted to the masjids to the mosques. We have to drag them to the mosque. So where did we go wrong? Why are they among those whose hearts are attached to the masjid? Because among the seven was also a man, a woman, man primarily, whose heart is attached to the masjid. He is attached to the masjid. As a man, his prayers are most rewarded by praying them in the masjid. And as a result, the same crowds that we see for Salatul Maghrib or Salatul Isha, we should see for Salatul Fajr the same crowds. But we don't see them. This is the question. This is the issue. That the commitment to the masjid isn't there in the hearts of the parents. So how can they convey it to the children? As they say in Arabic, la لَيَعَتِي One who is lacking cannot give what he is lacking. So, the only way that we are going to inspire our young children to pray and to be attached to the masjid, to pray, to be regular in their prayers, etc. is that we be here. We fill this masjid in Salat al-Fajr. And by the time our children are seven, we have them here with us. We have the children here with us. Mostly we leave children at home. Mostly. But that wasn't the way of the first generation. Prophet Muhammad is recording, he was making Salah of Hasan and Hussain reclaming on his back. He would pick them up when he stood up, put them down when he had to go next to make sujood. This was the Prophet of Allah, sallallahu And the Sahaba were known to have the kids in the mosque and make toys for them during the times of fasting to distract them from wanting to break the fast. And they would be here in the masjid breaking the fast along with their parents. But mostly we don't require kids to fast. We don't stress salah. So, why should it be a surprise that our children are not represented Islamically in the masjid? Prophet Muhammad had said, Each and every one of you is a shepherd responsible for his or her flock. Mas'ulu meaning you will be asked about that responsibility. Allah will ask us on the day of judgment how we raised our children. Of course, if our children go astray, they make decisions to leave Islam or not practice it in one way or another. They have to answer before Allah for their decisions, but we will have to answer to Allah for what happened to them. What brought them to that state? It is not a normal state. The normal state is that righteous parents give and raise righteous children. Of course people can point to the son of Noah. Right? Prophet Noah's son when he told him to get on the boat, he said no. He didn't go on. He had deviated. But is that the one? That is the exception. That is to show you that ultimately it is in Allah's hands. That even though the principles of righteousness were there, people can still reject it. So you might teach your child everything, provide everything for them, and they may still go astray. It's possible. But it's not the norm, it is the exception. So we don't point to the son of Noah and say that. Look at the son of God. So we have to go back and ask ourselves, What happened? Why have we failed? Well, we have to ask ourselves, Where do most of our children spend their time? spend most of their time in school that's where they spend most of their time in school what kind of school I think from what I have heard that the majority of our children do not spend their time in Islamic schools Will they go to government schools or they go to private schools, which you can just say are Christian schools. We are putting our children in the hands of Christians to teach them. What do you think? Even the teachers in the government schools, most of them will be Christians, so it's not much different. So what do you think? We are in fact committing our children to spiritual suicide. That's what we're doing. We're hijacking their Islam. It is the right of every Muslim child to be raised, educated in an Islamic environment. That is their right. It is their right that they will be given instructions from the time that they enter into educational institution till the time they graduate. It is their right that their instructors be Muslims. And we have to understand that if we do not fulfill that right, we are in sin. We don't have legitimate justification. Now, some people might say, Islamic schools are so expensive, we can't afford them." But we can afford it. we can afford to put them in Catholic schools. How is that? Are the Catholic schools cheaper than Islamic schools? Hmm? Islamic schools, you know, the academics is not very good. What do we want? Is it better to have a child graduate, his his academics is weak, but his Islam is intact. or to have one who graduates whose academics are top of the line, but his Islam is destroyed. What do we want? If that's the choice that we have to make, there's only one choice. That is no excuse. Academics is no excuse. I've heard some parents even tell me, we're putting our children in uh, Catholic schools because we want them to give dawah to the Catholics. (laughs) What kind of dawah are the kids going to give? It's a joke. It's a joke. These kids are being fed information in every class. The teacher, no matter what the subject, is feeding them information contrary to Islam. Because their own belief system is contrary. So they feed that information Subtly, they may not openly say to the child, Jesus is your Lord. But indirectly, they're feeding them all kinds of misinformation. And they go through a whole generation of study. And what do we expect to come out at the end? If we find amongst us a few youths who are, alhamdulillah, mashallah, we, we can't say, look, look, they succeeded. No. Again, there are the exceptions. You don't build principles on exceptions. You build principles on the rule. Ask that same young man who is now Islamically motivated, how many of his classmates who are Muslims are like him? So if he is one and twenty went astray, what do we say here? What do we say? Well, we devised as a means of protecting Islam in the past, the madrasa system, the madrasas. As a means of protecting the Islam of our children. In time, we Realized that of course the children had to go into the mainstream because the madrasa education did not equip them to play meaningful roles in the society. We cannot pro- produce doctors, engineers, you know, lawyers, etc., through the madrasa system. So parents began putting their children into. The government schools, the Catholic schools, etc. In order to make up, we set up a system of after school Islamic programs and weekend Islamic schools. And this is basically where most of our children are being educated. We have up, alhamdulillah, some Islamic schools, a few. But, if we look at these small numbers and look at the numbers of Muslims, we know that this is just a drop in the ocean. The vast majority don't have access to what is happening in the schools. So, this is the case, we need to look at these after hour madrasas or Islamic school programs and the weekend school programs. How successful are they? This is what we need to look at. Now, I would venture to say that if we ask the young people today, and those of us that are not that old, we just came out of that, we just graduated from university, so we can remember what the weekend schools were like, what the, medre- the uh, after-hour schools were like. I would venture to say that most kids will say it was a horrible experience. <coughs> It was a horrible experience. The weekend madrasa, the after hours, was a horrible experience which our children hated. And they hated it. So, we need to address this. If we are to change the situation, then we need to. Come They have more means. They hire a mu'allim to come and teach their children in the home. But then, asking those children, how was their experience with the mu'allim? Again, they say it was a horrible experience. They were the whole time. You know, they know, became <laughs> abuse. That's what it becomes down to. It comes down to abuse. So, what can we expect? We know in general that the mu'allim, for the most part, who become the mu'allims, Those who have problem students, they can't make it in the regular madrasa, so we push them in the, in the regular school, the older school, and all? we push them in the madrasa. You know, this is where they are put. So have problems, the problem children of the society are your future Muslims. A lot of them are. <laughs> So what can we expect? What can we expect? So this is a very, very serious problem, and it's not just here in Kenya. Don't think I'm just picking on you. No, this is all over the Muslim world all over the Muslim world, there is this very serious problem of education. That Muslims have not taken the responsibility for establishing educational institutions in the community and to ensure that young people are properly educated Islamically. So that we can have A generation in which we can have hope for a bright future. This is a global problem for the Muslim community, the Muslim world. It's a challenge. It can be changed, it can be corrected. But we have to recognize it and then we have to tackle it systematically. This is the only way. We have to first recognize it, accept it. You all are laughing, so we you know this is not a secret. You know, Dr. Bilal came here and exposed some secrets. No. You all know it. And you know it well. You know those children when you want to take them to weekend madrasas, they hate it. They don't want to go. They're crying, dragging them to these madrasas. So we are sealing our fate, sealing the future for ourselves. So the only way forward for Muslim youth to become the positive pillars of the Muslim community is to take this issue of education very seriously. We cannot in an instant provide sufficient schools for all of our children and just turn the thing over and around in a matter of years, few years. It's going to take time to produce, to establish enough schools for our children to have proper education. And then even in these schools there are issues. I won't go into all of it, but they are issues too. Because the teachers who are teaching Islamic studies, who are teaching Arabic and Quran, they are products of the madrasas, muhallims, who may have gone abroad and studied and got degrees, but they came from the Muhalim system. Many So, When you put them even in the Islamic school to teach, if you ask in the best of the Islamic schools here, they ask the students, what is your favorite subject and what is your most hated subject? You'll find unanimously, the most hated subject is Islamic studies, Quran and Arabic. in the Islamic schools, we have a problem. So it's a big problem. So we have to tackle it. Tackle it systematically. We have to stop this tradition of abuse in the name of Islam. Abuse of our children. Where the Quran teacher will tell you when you go to meet him, you're bringing your child, he has a big cane beside him. And you ask, him, what is that cane for? He said, these children will not learn without the cane. <laughs> they don't know. This is a legacy which he has inherited. That's how he learned. That's how his father's generation learned. His grandfather's history. It's a legacy. This has been handed down generation to generation. But was that the way of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu Do we have it that he taught the Sahaba by whipping them with canes? We <laughs> don't have this. This is, not because, this is not the legacy of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu Not the legacy of the Sahaba, or the Tabi'in or the Tabi tabi'een, the best of generations. That wasn't the legacy. This came about at a time in history. It came about at a time in history when Muslims lost their way, when Islamic knowledge declined and Muslims strayed. The West rose the 14th century, 15th century, and they dominated our countries, our lands, drove us out of Spain, took India, etc., etc., it is a product of that time. So we have to collect it. We need to develop a new generation of teachers. Teachers who teach the Quran, Islamic studies, and Arabic, properly trained. Teach how to discipline, how to manage a classroom environment without resorting to the cane. We need a new generation. So we have to direct some of our children in this direction that they get proper education. If we manage to do that, then we have a hope. But this is our responsibility. And for each and every child that goes astray in our community, the community carries the sin. The community carries the curse of that sin on its shoulders. And everyone who is able to make a difference to change this situation, but who does not step forward? He carries an even greater burden of the sin. One of the products of this system had said to me that his brothers and sisters, he just recently graduated, he said his brothers and sisters are going through the same thing right now. But he went through, they're going through. And when he spoke to his father and mother, they said, What else can we do? At least we're giving them something, better than nothing. But this is not the answer. The answer is, for us to work together, to establish alternatives. Allah has not burdened any soul, He has not burdened the community here with a responsibility which is too great for them to carry. It is something we can do. And we have to recognize our responsibility here and to take up this responsibility and begin the process of changing. Changing the status quo. Let us not let another generation, we're in a cycle, we're caught in a cycle, repeating itself, generation after generation, we're in a circle, we're not getting out of it. Let us stop this circle and start to move forward. We have the skills we have the means, we have people who are trained in our community, we can do it. The issue is how and when. Not the issue of can or cannot, we can. But the issue is how and when. When? We can begin now begin now by making a commitment, a mental and a spiritual commitment to change this situation. That is the starting point. Because if we don't make that commitment, then it is not going to happen. How is not even an issue. When becomes the big problem. If we accept this responsibility, Recognise it, commit ourselves to change it, then the way is now. We can start the steps from now. Bring those who are like minded with those who have means and we can start to develop more Islamic schools we can start to tackle the madrasa system, the weekend schools, the after-hour schools. We can put this form of education in the hands of educators. This is an important step. If it is not in the hands of educators, then the children will be abused and they will hate it. Because education is a profession. It requires training. It requires qualifications. So if we want to do it successfully, we must have properly qualified people. So here we have in our midst, teachers for example, who are trained in early childhood education, but the Islamic of knowledge will not be that good, then we need to set up programs of training for those teachers so that they can fill those slots. we have to decide and begin to make a change. The future of our youth, the future of our society depends on it. What we decide here and now will determine what is to come. So I ask you brothers, if there are sisters, I don't know, there are sisters, brothers and sisters, to make this decision tonight. And then we have organizations, we need to contact the organizations. Step forward, step up and say we want to make this change. What can we do? And inshallah, we have people who can channel this energy, channel the qualifications and the finances, direct it to start this process of change. And it's something real; it is possible. It's just up to us. Do we want to do it? Of course, it's easier to let it go. It's easier to let things continue as they are. Change is always difficult. It requires effort. And it's our nature to not want to make the effort. But it goes back in the end to what? to Iman. Do we really believe in Allah? Are we only saying that we believe in Allah? That's what it comes down to. If we really believe in Allah, believe that we will be asked on the day of judgment about our children, what happened, why it happened, then that fear of the last day will motivate us will be a driving force, a positive driving force for us to come together. Because we have to do it together. We can't do it as individuals. To come together and make this change a reality. So, just as a witness before Allah, I want those people who have accepted this responsibility and have made the spiritual commitment in their hearts from tonight to start to work for the change to put up their hands and this is before Allah Allah is the witness I won't be here to my you next year or six months from now this is before Allah Alhamdulillah we can do it so inshaAllah This is what Allah brought me here to share with you And it's now for you to take that responsibility and make the difference This effort, this commitment will not succeed without the help of Allah So we need to turn to him now and ask for his help we make the commitment, inshallah we make the effort, and with Allah's help, it will become reality. So I ask Allah swt, to strengthen our resolve to make the change. I ask Allah to forgive us for our failures, our deficiencies of the past which has led to the situation that we are currently in. It was out of ignorance So we ask Allah to forgive us for our ignorance We thank Allah SWT For the realization and the knowledge that we now have and We ask Him to give us the strength To go ahead and act on this knowledge We ask Allah SWT To protect our children That are currently caught up In this evil system to protect them from destruction. And we ask Allah SWT to make those who manage to survive beacons in helping those who have lost their way. We ask Allah to help us to help them. To give them a full front position in this effort. Because they know best what they have experienced. And I'm sure they have many good ideas as to how to change this. We need to give them an opportunity to share with us, help us to do this job, because we have to do it together. I ask Allah to protect this ummah. I thank Allah for the blessing that He has given over the generations to have produced this ummah. And I call on you to do the same. Because thankfulness, gratitude is an essential part of iman. We have hope in Allah, but we must show gratitude for what Allah has done for us. This is the starting point. So, brothers and sisters, please, turn to Allah yourselves as we wait for the Adam and sincerely call on him for his help. Because our du'as can make the difference. As the Prophet had said, nothing changes qadr but du'a, the only thing capable of changing qadr. So let's change the qadr tonight. بارك barakala feekwem. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa